Well, I'm excited because today we are starting a new sermon series, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit. And I think most of us are familiar with the, the term the Holy Spirit, of course, but how familiar are you with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit? I think actually, if you had to think about it, probably when it comes to God, that may be the most mysterious part of who God is. Um, we, we, we know God the Father, kind of, right? We don't know what He looks like, but He's the one who created everything. He's the one who ordains everything. He's the source of everything. That's God the Father. And we kind of know God the Son, probably the best, because God the Son, Jesus, took on flesh. He walked among us. He lived three years. We don't know what He looks like. Of course, we have all these pictures, but they aren't most likely accurate. But we see the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. We get a sense of who God the Son is. But then when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, we are sort of lost. Who, who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? In fact, many of you guys probably grew up with the term the Holy Ghost. How many people grew up with the term the Holy Ghost? That makes it even sound even more mysterious or even more sort of scary in a sense. Who is the Holy Ghost? And he adds to the fact that in Scripture, there are multiple names for the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's the Spirit of God, there's the Spirit of Jesus, uh, there's the Comforter, the Helper, the Advocate. Uh, as it, it's called the Anointing in 1 John. There are multiple names in how we refer to the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? And here's the interesting thing about it, though. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there would be no church. And not only do I mean there would be no First Baptist Church, or that's certainly true, there would be no church, period, in the world. There would be no Christians in the world. There would be no Christianity without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, we'll come to it a little later, that it's better for Him to go so that the Spirit would come because He's the one who will convict and lead people to faith in Him. So I'm looking forward to this sermon series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Uh, many of you guys grew up going to church. Maybe you've been going to church for many, many decades. And you've probably heard it all, right? I'm going to guess that you may actually hear some things in this series that you've never heard before. I want to guess. Because, again, the Holy Spirit is one of those areas of the ministry of God that we don't talk too much about. And yet is absolutely essential to who we are as Christians and to what we do. I'm going to start by looking at Jesus' own words in John 14 and John 16, uh, where he talks about the Holy Spirit as a gift to us. Now, when I talk about the Spirit as a gift, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a thing. Um, sometimes you hear people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Uh, do you have it? Do you have the Holy Spirit? No, it's, he's, he's not an it. Uh, we refer to the Holy Spirit with, as a he, um, and not saying he in, in, in contrast to she. I mean, he is in contrast to it. He is a person of the Trinity. He is God in our very presence. And he is God, Jesus' gift in his absence until he returns. He's Jesus' gift to us, the very presence of God. So look with me. We've got a lot of scripture to read here. I'm going to talk through it, kind of break it down. There is an outline in your bulletin, um, as well as the text we'll have on the screen. There's a Bible. If you want to grab a, if you like to have a physical Bible in your hand, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, but we're going to ask for the Lord's blessing, and then we're going to read a lot of scripture. So, Father, help us this morning to understand your word. Help us, Lord, to grasp what you are talking about in John 14 and John 16 when you talk about the Helper, the presence of God with us, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, Father, we don't want to just know about the Holy Spirit. We want to experience His very presence with us as your people. So do this work of taking your word, reminding us of Jesus, and convicting us of sin and leading us to righteousness as only you can do. 
And we look to your spirit to do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 14. And we're going to read from uh, verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And then skip over to 16. We read this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, make myself known. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is amazing. Friends, if you're listening carefully, you don't even need to hear the sermon. You're going to get exactly where we're going. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And then in 16, we're going to go from 4B. So if you have a break in your most uh, Bibles have a little break between 4A and 4B. There is no A and B in your Bible. That's just sort of a way of breaking the verse in half uh, to verse 15. Look what we read here. He continues on. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment. Because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. 
Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's the word of the Lord, about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a gift when I leave. And that gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit for our good. So there's an outline in your bullet if you want to look, a look along. But we're going to start in verse uh, chapter 14, uh, looking at the beginning from 15 to 24, talking about how the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God with us. And I'm going to walk through it verse by verse and then make some applications and then we'll go to the next one and do the same thing. Uh, but he says here in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's talking about his disciples, those who love him, those who have a relationship with the Lord and that love him, they keep his commandments. So the most obvious way to know if you love the Lord are you doing what he said? If you don't do what he says, that's evidence that you don't really love him. So he's talking specifically to his disciples, and this is what he says to them. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So Jesus is asking the Father. So this is not Jesus, and this is not the Father. So who is this? He's going to give you another one. Uh, so it's not the Father, it's not Jesus. He calls him here the helper, and he describes him as one who will be with you forever. He's never going to leave you. He's going to be present with the disciples forever. Verse 17, the, even the spirit of truth. There's two names he uses for him. One is helper. The other is the spirit of truth. Now, the world doesn't receive him. So the Holy Spirit is not for the whole world necessarily. He's at work in the whole world. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But he's talking uniquely about how he is at work in his church and with his disciples. Look at verse 3. Uh, if I go and prepare, I'm sorry, lost my place here. Look at uh, verse uh, 17. Verse 17, he says, He will dwell with you. Um, uh, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, so he's not a physical presence. He's not like Jesus in the flesh with us. He's in us spiritually. Let me come to verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Uh, and uh, why would he refer to them as orphans? Because Jesus is physically knows what's going to happen. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he's going to be physically absent from his people. He also knows that the Father is in heaven. Right? That's where the Father is. Our Father who art in heaven. Not aren't in heaven. Who art in heaven. Father's in heaven. Jesus will be in heaven. So what happens to his disciples? They're left as orphans. But he says, no, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You won't see me for a little while, and then you will see me. Uh, some people think this refers to the second coming of Christ, and I can understand why they would think that. But if you read the context, I don't think that's what he's getting at. Verse 20. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's talking about his very presence by his Spirit with his people. 21, whoever has my commands keeps them. He it is who loves me. His disciples are the ones who receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Judas. Uh, notice he points out here that this Judas is not Judas Iscariot. Um, what a shame if you had the name Judas, right? I mean, that, unfortunately, what happened is, uh, you know, a lot of people were named Judas, a very common name in Israel. Uh, but if you were named that already... Uh, before Judas Iscariot, you're kind of stuck with the name Judas, right? It, be, it kind of dropped out of popularity pretty quickly uh, after Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. Uh, nobody really names their kids Judas anymore, and especially Christians. But Judas already had the name, so he gets stuck with the name. But every time he uses his name, he says, Judas, not Iscariot, by the way. He wants to make sure that's clear. Uh, but he says, Lord, how are you going to show yourself to us 
but not to the rest of the world. Explain what you mean. How does the helper that you're referring to work specifically within the disciples, but not the rest of the world? And he says here, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him. We will come and make our home with him. We're going to make our dwelling with you, in you, in your very midst. What is he talking about here? The presence of the Holy Spirit with us as his people. Now, you might be thinking as you're hearing this, isn't God already everywhere? Uh, Don't we believe in what's sometimes called the omnipresence of God? That God is everywhere, at all times, at every place. And when we say God, I don't mean just God the Father or God the Son. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. Uh, What do the Psalms Psalms say? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to to heaven, you are there. If I go down to hell, to Sheol, you are there. There is no place where God is not. Actually, interestingly enough, just as a side note, some people say there's only one place that God isn't, and that's hell. That's incorrect, actually. I think it's R.C. Sproul says the problem with hell is not that God is not there. The problem is that he is all too present with his justice. It's just that he has removed his grace and his mercy at, final, at that final judgment. But yes, there is no place where you can go where God is not there. If Elon Musk figures out a way to get people to, the, to Mars, which he's working on in like 20 years, right? So how many people would volunteer to go to Mars? Oh, we got a couple. All right. Hey, all right, buddy. We got one guy. So that's great. If we get to, find a way to get to Mars, you'll be one of the few people who lives out his life in Mars. God is already there in Mars. Uh, you're not going to go there and say, good, I finally got away from God. Not going to happen. You're going to be with God no matter where you go. God is present. So what does he mean here that he will be with you, that we'll make our home with you, that we'll dwell with you, that you're not going to be orphans because I'm going to be present if God is everywhere at all times in all places? Well, just because God is omnipresent, and he is, doesn't mean he can't also be uniquely present in one place in a specific way. Uh, God is God. He can do that if he wants. So yes, he's everywhere. He knows everything, but he can also show himself and reveal himself uniquely in one place if he chooses to do so. And they're going to use a, a, an illustration. And anytime you use an illustration about God, it falls short. Okay, so don't hold me to this. It's not an exact parallel because no illustration that we can come up with to try to explain God is ever going to work. But we can be like this, right? You can be present, but not really present, right? I mean, you can be, you can be somewhere, but your mind really isn't there. Your heart really isn't there. You're kind of present, but you're not fully present. So um, this happens to me all the time when I'm driving. Um, I'll drive for hours on a road trip and realize my mind isn't even present. Now, I'm a good driver. I can actually drive on autopilot pretty well, <laughs> but I'm not there. My mind isn't there. Unless something happens, somebody cuts me off and then shoo, my mind shoots right back. Anyone else with me on this? You know, I got, yeah, you, you're, you're, you can go on to autopilot. You're present, but you're not present. Anyone that's married here, I'm sure your wife or husband has told you before, uh, where are you? <laughs> I need you present right here. You're, you're hearing with your ears, but you're not present. And if you loved me, you would be listening to me, right? And that's a fair statement. If you're love, you love someone, you're going to be very present. Uh, when it comes to Christmas morning, um, when my kids are opening up their presents when they were younger, um, my mind isn't on words with friends, right? And I'll play, play a little game on my phone. I, I love my kids. I want to watch them open their presents. It matters to me. I'm present in the moment. When I celebrate my 18th year of marriage on our anniversary, we go out to dinner together. My wife and I go out to dinner together. Uh, I'm not going to be thinking about football in my mind. 
for the whole time. Anyway, some of the time maybe. No, I'm going to be talking to my wife because I love her. I'm present there with her. I'm not absent-minded. In the same way, friends, God, yes, is present everywhere. But because he loves us, because we are his people, he is uniquely and especially present with us. And this isn't new to us. I'll I'll give you some examples from Scripture. Uh, What happened in the Garden of Eden? As Adam and Eve were walking in the Garden of Eden, uh, it says, The Lord walked with him in the cool of the day. You hear that? You say, how can God walk in the garden? What is going on there? I thought God is a spirit who is everywhere at all times, and he's omniscient and omnipresent and all-powerful. And Well, God can be everywhere at all times, and yet still uniquely want to be present with Adam in the cool of the day, because he loves him. What does it mean that he traveled with Israel for 40 years in the desert in a tabernacle? You said, what, people put together a tent made out of leather, and they carried it around the desert for 40 years, and God was in the tent? What are you talking about? He's the eternal creator of heaven and earth and of all that is seen and unseen. Yes, he is, but he wanted to show himself to be uniquely present by his spirit in the tabernacle. And later on in the temple in Jerusalem, God said in the Holy of Holies, temple was this big room. There was a smaller room called the Holy Place where only priests go. And in that, that smaller room was a little tiny room called the Holy of Holies where he said, that's where my spirit will dwell. And in that place, a priest was only going to go in once a year for a short period of time. God can be present everywhere and uniquely and powerfully present in one specific way. And Jesus is saying, friends, it's exactly what he does with us. This is my gift to you. I'll be gone. The Father is in heaven, but the Spirit will be uniquely and powerfully at work in your very midst. That's his gift. Friends, I I was thinking about this. I've been obviously studying uh, the Holy Spirit, reading some passages, reading books on it, whatever, trying to get everything I can. And just the thought of Jesus' words here just left me thinking, wow, wow. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe what he's saying here? That he's leaving and he's giving us a gift and that gift is the very presence of God in a unique way in your life and in his church. You know, when you think about the church, the church is not a building. <laughs> we say that all the time, but we always got to remind ourselves of that because even myself, I say, I'm going to the church. Uh, I'll be back. I got to go shoot to the church real quick. Well, what I mean by that is going to the building, which is not right. Uh, this building, actually churches didn't arise for about 300 years after Jesus. Did you know that? Church buildings. They just called it a church. Church buildings did not arise until about 300 years after Jesus. They met in each other's home and they met in the temple. About 300 years later, somebody had the idea, let's build a house and use it only for the gathering of Christians. Uh, Before that, there was no church building. If you said the church, people were talking about the people. That's it. And his unique presence is with his people. The word church, actually, ecclesia, means the gathering or the congregation. It's when God's people come together. Uh, There's something special about the gathering of God's people when they're with each other, in each other's presence. Uh, We are still the church when this service is over and you go out the doors and you go back home or go to lunch or go to your Super Bowl party or whatever it is. You're still the church. But there's something about when we come together, God's spirit is uniquely at work. We are the gathering of his people. Actually, I was thinking about this because now we're on Facebook Live and, you know, live stream and all that. If you're watching from home right now, are you part of this church? (laughs) 
Are you still a part of the gathering? And I would say in one sense, no. And I don't mean this, you know, for anyone that's watching at home. But uh, there is something very, very important about being present physically with God's people gathered together. Why? Because his spirit has chosen to be present in that same special way in our actual gathering together. There's something very special about coming together. God has not left us alone. He has not left us as orphans. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, all right, I'm done with the cross. I'm done with the resurrection. I'm going to heaven. You guys are on your own. Hope you can get this job done. I'll see you in 3,000 years. That's not what he did. He said, I'm going, but I'm sending you my spirit and he'll be with you. He will carry this out. In fact, he even tells him without his spirit, nothing can be done. Friends, I wonder, I hope that, you know, we can't, obviously we can't see the Holy Spirit. Uh, The images behind me are pictures of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully they're clear. Uh, One of them is the dove. Uh, That's at Jesus' baptism, right? Uh, God reveals himself, the Holy Spirit reveals himself as a dove descending on Jesus. Uh, This is a tree because it's the wind blowing on a tree. Uh, Jesus said the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. Uh, You can see its effect, but you can't see his work. You can only see the effect of his work. And the last one is fire. Uh, The Holy Spirit reveals himself as tongues of fire on the disciples. And when I think about our church, how do we know the Holy Spirit is present? I mean, if Jesus was present, we would know that pretty clearly. He'd be sitting in one of the pews here. (laughs) Actually, he'd be standing up here, and I'd be sitting in one of the pews here, uh, for sure. Um, But how do we know the Holy Spirit is present? We know it by the work that he's doing. And if the Holy Spirit is not at work, close the doors, sell the building, because nothing's going to get done. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, um, A.W. Tozer, I have a quote from A.W. Tozer. He was a theologian, and he had a very negative view of the church. Did not think highly of what the, ch- the church in Western, in the United States, had become. That it basically, most of the church had really fallen away from biblical Christianity. And this was his assessment. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everyone would know the difference. I don't know if you agree with A.W. Tozer. (laughs) I hope that's not true. But if it is, my prayer, my hope for First Baptist is we are part of the 5%. That without his presence, we would feel his absence, and we would feel completely impotent to do anything that he's called us to do. Well, what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do in our midst? That's the next section. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our teacher uh, in the second section here. So we're going to look at 1425 to 31 and then uh, shooting over to 16 in a bit to a couple of verses there. What does the Holy Spirit do? He is our helper who has come to teach us. Look what he says in 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So Jesus spent a lot of time teaching when he was actually here in his 33 years, in his three-year teaching ministry. He said a lot of things. He did a lot of things. He did a lot of miracles. He spent a lot of time teaching. But verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, He's the one who actually reminds us, shows us, and particularly the disciples, all that Jesus taught. Uh, He's called the helper. Actually, the Greek word there, uh, paraklesos. And I don't say that just to say a Greek word. It's important. Uh, We get sometimes the English word theologians will use, paraclete. I don't know how many people have heard the word paraclete. Uh, Which is a terrible name for the Holy Spirit. Because it sounds way too much like parakeet. 
doesn't it? So I, I don't like the idea of calling the Holy Spirit the paraclete. Uh, I don't know what could be more different than the Holy Spirit, than a parakeet. I mean, think about that, friends. You've got the Holy Spirit, the Lord of the universe, who empowers his church to fulfill his mission and accomplish all that he wants, who's sovereign over creation. And you've got a little bird that you keep in a cage that's colorful and pretty. Uh, those are pretty different things, right? So paraclete is not a great term, but that word that translates, is, depending on your translation of the Bible, is either the advocate, the counselor, the comforter, or the helper. And out of those four, well, I think the last one's the best one. Although none of them are perfect. The advocate brings to mind the idea of a courtroom and the one who comes to our defense in, the, in a, law, a court of law, which is part of what's being said there. The counselor, it, probably if you have the King James, I think it uses counselor. Uh, the reason why they used that term was uh, because in the old days, that's what it meant. But when we think of a counselor, we think of uh, a Freud, you know, Freud sitting there with you on a couch and psychoanalyzing you type of thing. That's not what he had in mind. That's very modern and has nothing to do with what he's talking about here. Um, or the comforter is pretty good. But the comforter, again, gives the impression that he's just there to make us feel better. Uh, that's not the idea either. Helper works if you understand that he's not in a place of submission. He's not our little helper. That's not the idea. The idea is that he's the one who comes to our aid. He's the one who comes alongside of us. He's the one who helps us because we need him and we need his help. And without him, we would be without power. He's the helper who does what? He's the one, as it says here, who teaches us. He reminds us all that Jesus taught. Jesus said a lot of things, and he said really too much for his disciples to all remember. Most of them probably didn't write everything down. So when they're writing the scriptures themselves, think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and other books of the Bible, and they're remembering what Jesus has taught, the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind all that he said. So understand, he's not creating something new. It's not like John is writing and he's thinking, Here's something that I could put down that the Holy Spirit is telling me that Jesus never said. That's not the idea. He's bringing it to mind. He's helping them understand and remember all that Jesus said so that they can write the scriptures accurately and rightly. And friends, if you're somebody who's kind of skeptical of the, of the Bible, I would just say do some, do some little bit of research on the authority or on the uh, inspiration of scripture. And I think you'll be impressed at how accurate scripture really is and how much evidence we have for um, It's validity. But anyways, uh, he's here to remind us all that Jesus said. But more than that, he's also continuing with his disciples to teach us about Jesus. Always in line with Jesus and what he said and what he's done. Look with me at uh, uh, chapter 16, uh, uh, the last section of uh, 12 to 15 here. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus had much more he wanted to teach them, but he's running out of time. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. What God has told him, what Jesus has told him. He's he's completely in continuity and in line with what Jesus taught. There is no distinction. The Holy Spirit never teach, never goes beyond what Jesus has taught, never changes what Jesus has taught, never goes in a different direction. Uh, as some, I think, uh, false teachers will say, that, well, the Spirit of God has now revealed this and led in a different direction. Absolutely not. As he says here, he will only be in line with Jesus. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's going to raise up Jesus What the Holy Spirit wants to do, friends, is to point us to Jesus. 
That's what he wants to do. He wants to raise up Christ. He wants to get us focused on Jesus and what he has done. But when we, when we read the scriptures, friends, not only are we reading what God has inspired, as we just said, that the Holy Spirit inspired these writers to write what's written. It's the word of man. It's also the word of God. It's written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, he's also taking the scriptures that are written and he's bringing it into our lives. He's the teacher. He helps us understand. He's the one who gives us discernment. Uh, you ever notice that uh, when, when you hear something that, that doesn't, just, just doesn't sound right as a Christian, immediately something kind of goes off. It just doesn't sound right. I remember I was with a group of pastors in a class, and uh, the guy that was speaking overall was pretty good, but he made this one little off comment um, and about uh, ministry or whatever. And everyone in the class, all the pastors just kind of looked at each other. We just immediately knew that, just, that, that, that doesn't sound right. In fact, when you look at Christianity around the world, we, for the most part, Christians agree on the essentials of the faith, the core essentials of our faith. Why is that? Not because we have some authority or king who's telling us that in this world, but because we have the Holy Spirit who ministers within us. Yes, we can disagree on all different small issues and issues of interpretation and what you think about this passage and what you think about this particular subject, but when it comes to who Christ is, what he has come to do, his sinless life, his death for us on the cross, his atonement in our place as the Lamb of God, his resurrection from the grave and victory over Satan and sin and death. When it comes to understanding that by faith in him, we receive this salvation, that Christ will return for his people, there is unanimous agreement among billions of people. How in the world would you get that unanimity? Because the Spirit of God is at work in His people. Friends, I hope that we as a church, I hope that we are depending upon the the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Well, first, we depend upon His inspired Word. As I said, we're looking to the Scriptures. We're not just looking to the next fad or the next self-help book or the next thing that comes down the pike and saying, this is where we're putting our hope in. No, we're putting our hope in what He has brought to us in His Word. First of all. But more than that, I hope we're just regularly depending on his ministry as we teach. Uh, I'll, I'll explain. For, for, as a preacher, uh, this is really important. Um, whenever I preach, I'm, I'm begging, I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to take his word and to use it for his purposes. So whoever's up here preaching. And oftentimes he does it in ways that I don't expect. So I'll talk to somebody after the service who will say, you know what you said, Pastor, really affected me in this specific way. And it's a way that I didn't even think of. <laughs> Or how about this? this happens all the time. And uh, Mike, I'm sure you can t- say this happens to you too. I'll finish a sermon and I'll say, that sermon in my mind, I'll say, that sermon is terrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I was one of the worst sermons. I remember there was one sermon. It was a while back on Hosea. And I remember midway through the sermon, I almost stopped the sermon and said, sorry guys, this was bad. <laughs> That's how bad it was. It was just, uh, some days I'll just feel terrible. And I'll feel like, I shouldn't even be a preacher. Why not just give this up and give this to somebody who can do this better than me? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, inevitably and, and uncannily, that's a word, when I, when I feel that way, someone will come up to me and say something like this. Pastor, that's the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. And God has used that mightily in my life. I remember with the Hosea sermon in particular, somebody came up to me and said, save that sermon. Save it in your back pocket. 
and pull it out every once in a while because we need to hear that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit <laughs> reminding me it's not about me and my wisdom and my words and my ability. It's about his ministry of teaching to his people. And friends, I hope too that you come attentive, you come ready to listen, ready to hear from God, ready to do the work, let the Holy Spirit do that work of teaching that he alone can do. Not me, not the elders, not Pastor Mike, but that he alone can do in your heart and in your mind. He has a way of teaching us. Uh, throw that picture up of that guy. We have it. Anybody know who this guy is? Oh, well, it's not up there yet. But uh, I just want to give you three examples of what's amazing to think of, of the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Sometimes he uses um, the, the uh, formal education of this world. Apostle Paul was brilliant, two PhDs and so forth. Um, but sometimes he does and sometimes he teaches directly. And I just want to give you three examples. One is Peter. Uh, the Apostle Peter, uh, the leader of the early church, one of the most effective preachers um, in the Bible. Uh, shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he becomes the leader of the church, preaches in Acts 2, reaches many, many people are brought to repentance and to faith and to trust in the Lord. You know what Peter was? Many of you guys know this. He was a fisherman. He's a fisherman. That was his job. No formal education. Well, he was probably a small business owner because he owns a boat, actually. So he, he wasn't just somebody, a fisherman who works for somebody else. But, so maybe he had some basic, because he wrote two letters, too. He was, he was literate. He knew how to you know, deal with basic uh, business stuff. But was not trained in theology. Was not trained in public speaking and homiletics. And yet God used him mightily as a work of his Holy Spirit. Second guy is the guy up there. That's uh, uh, John Bunyan. Uh, not to be confused with the guy that cut down trees. That was Paul Bunyan, all right? So two different guys. John Bunyan wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress in the 1700s. Um, and John Bunyan uh, was not a literate man except for the Bible. Uh, he had a Bible at his house, I think one or two other books. He studied and learned the Bible so very well. He learned how to read and write and everything, all from the scriptures. He knew that Bible so well, he wrote the book, The Pilgrim's Progress which became, in the English language, the second most sold and owned book next to the Bible. They said every home, every Puritan home in his day, would have only two books. You could only afford two books. You would have a Bible, and you would have Pilgrim's Progress. And that was John Bunyan. And the third one is my mom, who's here. And I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but... My mom came from uh, Korea, in the Korea in the 1980s, uh, did not know how to read or write English at all, but taught herself the Bible, uh, taught herself the English language so that she could read and study the Bible and teach it to her kids. And I grew up with little Bible verses stuck all over the house, so they're all in my mind now, you know, little written, handwritten things all taped all over the house. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, and he teaches us from his word. Whether you have a PhD or not, He's the one who teaches us from his word. And then we come to this third section. He's the one who does the work of conviction. He does the work of conviction in our hearts, in our minds. Look what he says going back uh, to chapter 16, but going back to verse uh, 4b. This is what he says. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus, while he was with us, was doing the teaching. Not the Holy Spirit necessarily, but Jesus himself. He was teaching us. Verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me. I'm leaving. And none of you ask me, where are you going? They're not asking where he's going because they're more grieving of the fact that he's not going to be there. Verse 6, the sorrow has filled your heart. They're concerned about themselves. They're concerned about the fact that Jesus is leaving. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. It's to your benefit. It's actually better for you for me to leave and I send the helper. Now, why is it better? Uh, like I said, wouldn't we rather have Jesus with us? Um, wouldn't you rather have him up here than me? Wouldn't you rather have him present even than his Holy Spirit? And Jesus says, absolutely not. Far better to have the Holy Spirit for him to, uh, than to have him here present. Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, is one man when he lived, present in the flesh with his people. But the Spirit of God is within each of us, convicting and shaping and changing and molding us. In fact, it says in the beginning of 14, we didn't cover this section, but he says, you will actually do greater things than me. Greater miracles, more amazing, more wonderful things than even you have seen me do in my earthly ministry. Why? Because the Spirit of God will empower you to do so. He is present in my absence. What is he going to do in us? Look at verse uh, 7. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come. Uh, verse 8, excuse me. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to do this work of conviction within us. Uh, you see, friends, uh, as a preacher, all I can do is, is the exterior stuff. Hopefully, if I, I'm a, I can give you a nice pep talk, right? And I can make you laugh. Maybe. Right? I don't know. Do I, my kids say I'm, I'm, my, I'm not that funny. I'm just cheesy funny. I'm not really good funny, right? Um, I, I can make you cry if I tell you a really sad story. I could pep you up to get excited, you know, like a, like a coach does for his football team or something like that. But I can't change your heart. I can't get inside of you. <laughs> That's a work only the Holy Spirit can do. That's a work of conviction from within what he says concerning sin, he convicts us. Why? Because they do not believe in me. Now, there are many people who reject Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who works in them and draws them through conviction to put their faith in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. You're not going to have Jesus and his example of righteousness and his teaching about righteousness in his earthly ministry. But what you will have is the Holy Spirit convicting you from within. And concerning judgment, a recognition of what's to come because the ruler of this world is judged, which means the time is coming when all who are in rejection of the gospel will be judged by him. He works within us and reaches a part of us that no one else can reach. Friends, as I've said many times, our, our, one of my prayers for our church this year is that this would be the most evangelistic year in our church's history which I think is our job and our responsibility to share this good news and make sure people hear it. But really, unless it's God's Spirit working in somebody's life, it'll just be in the ears and out until, unless it goes down into their heart, which only God can do. And really, friends, this conviction that he's talking about is a gift. It's a gift because it's what draws us closer to him. I see this happen all the time. Somebody will come and say, Pastor, I just feel terrible. <laughs> I feel horrible. I feel guilty. I feel shame. And I said, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad uh, well, you feel a little bit of guilt here. But let that guilt lead you to Christ. Let it lead you to trust in him as Savior. Let it lead you to repentance and to greater faith. His spirit is at work in you. If you, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you would sin and you'd enjoy sin, and you'd feel no guilt about it. <laughs> but his spirit is the one who draws us back to him and keeps us from wandering and pulls us closer into his very presence. 
Because this is why the, the church was effective. This is why the, God, the apostles were effective. They were effective because the Spirit of God, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, he empowered them to be effective in their ministry. How else could a group of uneducated, as we said earlier, uh, not particularly talented, not particularly great or mighty or well-known people, a group of maybe 12, maybe a few extra others on the side, change the whole world. One historian writes this. We can pull it up there from Michael Green. How they shook the Roman Empire. He said it was a small group of 11 men. Because Judas rejected. He does get replaced. But 11 men whom Jesus commissioned to carry on his work and bring the gospel to the whole world. Friends, this is a historical fact. They were not distinguished. They were not well educated. And they had no influential backers. In their own nation, they were nobodies. And in any case, their own nation was a mere second-class province on the eastern extremity of the Roman map, the nation of Israel. How could they possibly succeed? And yet they did. The whole world was changed because of the preaching of the gospel of 11 men 2,000 years ago in a little corner of the world on the other side of this planet. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was doing the work of conviction. Friends, I think about you and, and me this morning. Is, is the Holy Spirit doing this? For one, one, I hope you understand that the Holy Spirit is present. It's God's gift. Yes, He's present everywhere. God is present everywhere. But He's specially present with you because He loves you. Just like I want to be present, not just on autopilot, flying by. The other day I was, on auto, I was driving my son to Muay Thai boxing and I was on autopilot because we were talking about football. Well, I, wasn't on, I was focused on something besides driving. And I actually drove past not one but two exits in the highway before I realized that I had I would gone the wrong way. And by the time I was like, oh no, I turned around at 2.13 over by uh, the loop there and tried to make my way back. And by then it was 15 minutes late and it was, it was, he missed the whole thing. So it was, uh, it was my own fault because I was on autopilot. The Holy Spirit is present uniquely because he loves us with us. I hope you take comfort in that. He never leaves or forsakes you, even in the harshest and hardest of sufferings you go through. I hope you know that he's the teacher, he's the helper, he's the paraclete. He's the one who is, comes to our aid and comes to our side and ministers the word of God to us and brings it into our lives. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the preached word. He teaches us. He's the one who convicts us. And maybe right now you're, you're, you've got some conviction of sin in your life that he's working on you right now. He's bringing you to repentance and faith. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's his work. He's, he's trying to bring you back. He's trying to call you back to himself. He leads us to righteousness. He's Jesus' gift to us in his absence until he returns. Pray with me. Well, our gracious Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. Let us be amazed. Let us be stunned by what you said here, Lord Jesus. That you go back to the Father, who is greater than you, because he's the authority, though equal in being, yet different in role. But you are going to not leave us as orphans. You're going to be present with us forever. Make your home with us and be by our side. Father, you know what each of us needs, as we said in the sermon. You know what each of us needs. You have a way by your spirit to bring the word to our lives, whether that's a need for comfort, going through a 
deep, dark valley or need for conviction to be drawn back. We can feel our hearts wandering away from you. And that conviction is right there now drawing us back to yourself. But we're new to the faith. And we we lack knowledge, we lack understanding. We need you as our teacher. Help us to get our noses in the book and prayerfully looking to see where you're teaching us, what you're reminding us. Lord, help us as your church to look to your spirit at work in us, reminding us, bringing our attention and our focus to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.